Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Parkinson's Recovery. This is Robert Rogers, and this is the place to come to be able to get help, information, resources, and support. If you are an individual that has the symptoms of Parkinson's, or if you know someone who has the symptoms of Parkinson's, 2009 has been a remarkable year for Parkinson's recovery. I was successful in actually releasing three books, uh, each of which address in one sense or another ways that people can find incredible ways to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. The most recent book is Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, which is now out in print form. The most exciting news for next year is that we are sponsoring a cruise to Alaska. And I want everybody to know that that introductory low rate uh, is going to be good through next week. So if you're thinking about signing up for the cruise to Alaska, which leaves from Seattle on May the 3rd, 2010, just about five months from now, I suggest you go ahead and put your deposit down. Uh, you can get travel insurance. So if anything comes up and you're not able to make it, you'll be able to get a, a full refund of any monies that you put down. What's the reason to come on the cruise to Alaska other than to have a grand and an incredible vacation in one of the most natural and healing places on the earth? Well, a reason is, in part, to be able to meet other individuals who are truly on the road to recovery so you can get their ideas of what they're doing to be able to heal. Of course, uh, we'll also be offering free workshops that will address what we've discovered really helps people, so we'll be providing you with a few tools that you can use uh, that will be able to reduce stress and address the issue of trauma and also be able to give you some ways to get relief from your own symptoms. So I hope you'll join us on our cruise, uh, Parkinson's Recovery Cruise to Alaska. We're going to have an incredible staff of people there who are doing some incredible therapies uh, that are truly helping individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's. My program today is really a holiday program. Michelle Morgan uh, has actually created her own approach, uh, her own therapy, which she calls cognitive spiritual integration. It's an amazing development. She's worked with individuals with Parkinson's. I got Michelle's name from someone who said, I've got to interview Michelle because she really and truly and genuinely helped me, and I know she can help other people. So here's my first segment of my previously recorded program with Michelle Morgan. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. I received an email several months ago from a listener who said there was a person that I needed to locate, I needed to contact her, and I needed to have her as a guest on my radio program. And I've actually done that. Her name is Michelle Morgan. She has been a professional psychic, spiritual counselor, visionary NLP practitioner and author for nearly two decades. Now, by my calculation, that's 20 years. Endowed with psychic gifts since childhood, Michelle's ability to combine her profound knowledge of and insight into human nature with her extraordinary intuitive skills create a rare alchemy that has established her as a truly revolutionary teacher counselor, and agent of change. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. 
It's very nice to be here, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much. It's very clear that people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's are drawn to you. Do you have any particular connection to Parkinson's degree to disease uh, personally? Actually, I do. I'm my older brother, um, who's three years older than I um, am, was diagnosed with Parkinson's when he was 35. Um, so, yeah, it's um, a, an issue that's pretty near and dear to my heart, actually. So a person that has symptoms um, will perhaps come to you, to your actual office, and receive some services. Uh, what really happens when they come? Do they tell you about their symptoms, and then you go from there? Yeah. My, the work that I do um, is <clears throat> the CSI program, um, which is a, an NLP-based program that I developed over the last um, decade or so. Um, and the purpose of, of my work is to help people um, change, literally change the programming in the brain, the belief systems that are programmed into the neural pathways in the brain. Um, and if I may, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and then, and then correlate that with how that affects someone's, someone with symptoms of Parkinson's or any other kind of physical disease. Awesome, um, awesome. The, the CSI process, Literally, we work with the the root of a belief system, and a belief system is um, literally belief systems are the laws that we live by. They're programmed ideas about cause and effect, um, about ourselves and the world around us, and they're they're rooted in the psyche between birth and two years of age. Um, then there's a period of time um, between two and and seven years of age where identity issues are imprinted in the psyche. Um, and I mean literally imprinted. Neural pathways are um, clusters of neurons in the brain that record the meaning of different experiences based on physical responses, environmental variables, emotional responses, etc. Um, and then there's um, hundreds of precise chemicals called information substances that connect those neurons in each group as an electrical path. So when you have a situation um, that arises in your world that seems familiar to the way that pathway was set, that cocktail, that chemical cocktail fires instantly and you have the identical reaction. So for instance, one of my um, examples that I use with clients is, you know, you had a, a critical parent growing up who told you, you know, you couldn't do anything right. Well, you're, you know, 45 years old and you're in a board meeting and you've got a boss who all of a sudden takes on that same petulant, um, you know, exasperated tone with you and you're 45 years old and you become a five-year-old in the board meeting <laughs> emotionally and, and have all the same identical physical responses, oftentimes the identical emotional responses, which can be incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> um, and, but you, you literally are powerless to those neural pathways. Um, I believe that those belief systems um, that are ingrained in those neural pathways are the root of addictions. Why an addict is quote unquote powerless to their addiction. The addiction, nobody, nobody is born an addict. Um, they become one in their life based on those belief systems. Well, I have a philosophy that I believe is shared by a lot of um, incredibly learned people in the world that physical ailments don't start out as physical ailments. They begin as an emotional or spiritual imbalance. And then the body 
being the last man on the totem pole, <laughs> will take on that belief, take on that idea, take on that emotion and say, yeah, no problem, I can manifest that. And then, boom, you have the physical attributes of the disease. Um, I'll, I've worked with people for years who would come to me um, with symptoms of something who've been to countless medical doctors who cannot find a reason for the symptoms. There, it, you know, it stumps the medical community completely. Well, it's because they're starting down the pathway of the disease, but the disease hasn't completely rooted itself. It's like the body's kind of trying it on, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and to see if it'll stick. And eventually, if that person doesn't deal with the emotional and spiritual foundation of the problem, then, yeah, the disease will absolutely stick in the body. So now, as I was waxing <laughs> philosophical there, <laughs> how that relates to somebody with Parkinson's. Um, one of the things that I understand, and, and I, I really want to be clear that I am by no means an expert on Parkinson's. I'm also not a medical doctor. Um, I've just worked for a long, long, long time with, with clients who have a lot of physical issues. Um, but one of the things that I understand that's um, really challenging for Parkinson's patients is, is depression. And um, I know depression intimately, um, very intimately. And I also know that when you're depressed, your body doesn't function as well. And so for someone with Parkinson's who's dealing with very specific and deliberate physical issues, you add depression to the mix and those physical issues have got to skyrocket. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. So one of the things that the CSI process immediately addresses is the foundation of the depression. What are the belief systems that, are, that makes someone see themselves in the world in a way where there's self-loathing or there's guilt or there's self-worth issues? And we all have them. That's the, that's the kicker. You know, there's nobody out there that doesn't. <laughs> nobody, nobody came into a functional family. There's no <laughs> okay, truly. I mean, and that's not, you know, that's not. I'm not dissing the family unit. It's just the truth. And, um, and, you know, it's not about blaming your family of origin. It's just about understanding that that's where those belief systems are. That's where your vision of the world is created when you're a kid. You know, your your family of origin, your community, all of it affects and creates those neural pathways that you then manifest a reality based on. You use the term CSI, which yes. stands for Cognitive Spiritual Integration. Yes. You also mentioned that uh, a lot of these neural pathways are crafted uh, when we're one year, two years old. Yeah. So when a person comes to you, do you say to them, okay, what happened when you were one year old? <laughs> no, that's the really cool part about the CSI process is that we don't have to dig up stuff. That's um, I, I've worked a lot, um, a lot in my career with um, sexual abuse survivors who have had to endure therapies that make them, you know, remember and relive everything, or they're terrified to do a therapy that would do that. And the, with the CSI process. We don't go there. We, in fact, this is going to sound probably really odd. It doesn't matter what happened. The only thing that matters is how you're carrying what happened. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if you really think about it, with the exception of the split second of the present moment, you're not having an external reality. You're not having an experience of an external reality. 
Everything's internal. It's how we carry everything. You know, everything you and I've just said in the last however many minutes is, is in the past. Everything we're about to talk about and do is in the future. The present moment is, is literally just that. It's a flash. So how we carry things, which is where those neural pathways and those belief systems come into play, how we carry things determines how we walk in the world. So when somebody comes to me and we're dealing with this particular issue, rather than going, okay, what happened to you when you were one? I mean, if that information comes up, that's great. I mean, you know, it's always good to have information. But we don't go after it from that standpoint. We go after it from how are you seeing yourself in the world? What's the, what, what is the part of you that says this particular thing about you? And then we actually deal with that point of the issue. When I talk about parts, everybody's multiple personality, literally. Um, dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder, they reorged uh, it a couple years back. Um, that's a phenomenon where um, typically someone had a trauma um, that's sexual in nature when they were a child, um, and that natural process of the psyche became the escape mechanism. They, they were able to survive the horror of what happened to them by disappearing into that separate identity. Um, there was a, a woman a couple years, a few years back, there was a case study on a woman who had 126 identified personalities. In one of those personalities, she had advanced life-threatening diabetes. In all the other, we're talking 125 other personalities, she had no physical or medical symptoms. Wow. That's pretty astonishing. Yeah. So that's the power of the psyche, obviously seen through a very extreme example. But it makes me curious about, for instance, um, someone with something like Parkinson's. One day their symptoms are really advanced, right? They're really struggling with the physical symptoms and the emotional symptoms. And then maybe two days later or a week later they wake up and they have a day where it's, it's not that noticeable. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, that it's does not happen. as obvious. So and, what's what's going on? Well, in in my in my language, in my world, um, that's those are different parts. One day there was somebody in their psyche, and I mean literally somebody. It's a personality. Somebody popped up and said, you know what? Whatever's going on, we need to shut you down, or we need to create this particular drama, or we need to help you remember that you are limited, or whatever whatever the belief system is, whatever the belief system is. That part would jump up, create the physical experience to pull that person back into that emotional place that is familiar because it's what they believed about the world when they were two, and then they have that physical experience. And then on another day, somebody else raises up righteous and says, wait a minute here. We're not that limited. <laughs> so know? it's almost um, like we've got a bunch of people living inside us. Literally, yeah. It's a, it's a freaking three-ring circus in anybody's psyche at any given moment. It's actually pretty astonishing that anybody functions. It's <laughs> That's really you funny. When you understand how people walk in the world and what they believe, it is. It's completely astonishing to me. Well, so, any of us. so somebody comes to you and you say, you know, I know there's this side of me that says I'm never going to be able to recover. How do I get this person out of me? What do you do for that person? We actually, my philosophy on the parts, um, those little personalities and the, the sub-personalities of the psyche, my philosophy on them is that they're actually the tools that God gifted all of us with when, before we incarnated. When we were sitting in the cosmic coffee shop and God said he needed somebody to come down and do a particular thing and we raised our hand and said, pick me, <laughs> God picked us, hand-picked us, no less, and gave us literally this extraordinary toolkit with all of these cool 
ideas about ourselves and all these cool potentials and all these cool abilities. <clears throat> and then my analogy is it's like a, when a rocket ship reenters Earth's atmosphere, the fuselage twists because the Earth's atmosphere is de far denser than space. Well, same thing happens to those um, gifts, those parts, those tools. They get twisted when we incarnate in a human form because our human experience is so much denser, right? It's, first of all, <laughs> don't get me started on the whole love, light, and bliss thing. You'll absolutely see me on a flaming soapbox. <laughs> but the whole thing is, as a human, we're supposed to have this really multifaceted experience. We're supposed to run the gamut of all emotion, right? right. And live all those different emotions. So those gifts, which are divine in nature, they get twisted by the density of the human aspect of emotion. Because, you know, on the other side of things, up there in the divine, there isn't all the weighty, heavy, quote-unquote negative darkness that we have as human beings. But we're supposed to have those things. So that's when somebody comes to me and they say, I've got this part that's doing this particular thing, rather than exorcising, <laughs> you know, literally, <laughs> cue the Linda Blair music. Um, oh, you can't do that, huh? Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> rather than trying to get rid of that part, we actually have a dialogue, literally have a dialogue with that part. And it's a, it's a fascinating experience. Um, the client actually has a physical response to the part. Um, sometimes their voice changes. Sometimes, all the time, their physical posture changes, their facial expressions shift. Everything really um, physically moves in them, um, which can sound really scary when you're hearing about it, but the experience is, is pretty amazing. Um, we actually have a dialogue with that part, and we find out what the divine intention is. Because every single part, no matter how heinous the behavior is, they have a divine intention that they're trying to do. Um, can I give you a great ex example of this? Yeah. Um, that's not related to Parkinson's, but this is true of how this process works. Someone who buys a gun and goes to a school and starts shooting or goes to the local you know, shopping mall and starts shooting people, there's nothing positive whatsoever about the process of that person doing that crime, right? Buying the gun and organizing it and going and actually doing this horrible thing. Nothing positive whatsoever about it. Is that fair? Right. Yeah. Okay. But somewhere in that person's psyche was a part or parts that said, if you do this, you will feel powerful for the first time in your life, or you will feel a certain you know, sense of truth about yourself. You've always been worthless. They've always told you you were worthless. You might as well prove that you're worthless. Whatever it is, whatever that part's job was, there, there's a positive intention behind every belief system. And the parts believe that we're going to die, literally die, if they don't do their job. So someone with Parkinson's, for instance, who's dealing with, give, give, me, a, give, me, a particular, give me a particular symptom or give me a particular something that, people really t that you typically you know, talk to people about, and I'll, and I'll give you a little scenario on this. Well, there's a huge, huge list of symptoms. Well, why don't we just take freezing? In other words, a person is walking, and then all of a sudden they get stuck and can't move forward. Okay. All right. So... First of all, we would in, in the CSI process, we would probably start to look at things like that from a symbolic perspective alone, right? The symbolism of that is being frozen, being stuck, being trapped. One of the, one of the uh, metaphysical, quote-unquote, reasons behind Parkinson's specifically is feeling um, like, you are, like you literally don't have control. 
therefore the body breaks down and is out of control. So that's part of the belief system structure that we would be taking a look at. Then the other thing we would look at is we would actually dialogue with the part that was creating that physical symptom. Somebody in that person is literally stepping onto the stage, taking over, and making that person's body freeze. And it could be for a number of reasons. It could be that, and this is, and it's funny to even talk about it from this perspective because I'm, I'm kind of going on the fly here with this. If I was talking to a client, we would be finding out exactly what this part wanted. We'd be finding out exactly what the belief system was. But let's just say that the belief system, this person grew up in a family where they had a father who was um, an entrepreneurial by nature, but worked for some tyrannical boss his whole life. And he wanted so badly to, to branch out and do something on his own, but every single time he tried, he got the kibosh put on him. Maybe his own dad told him, he, you know, there's no way you're ever going to be able to do that. Don't, you, know, you need to play it safe or whatever it was, right? right? So he got stopped in his tracks every single time he tried to do something. So he, in turn, taught by literal, usually by verbally expressing it, but most importantly by actions. The kid grew up watching his father get stopped in his tracks, and all the emotional patterns that went along with that, the way the father felt about himself, how he walked in the world, how he showed up for the family, based on constantly being frozen in his tracks. So there's going to be an, an instant um, neural pathway that gets created, a belief system that says, oh my gosh, if I stretch myself, if I put myself out in the world, I'm going to get stopped. I'm going to, something's going to come along and, and run me over or derail me or somebody's going to tell me I can't do it or whatever it is, right? So that person grows up with that fear. So then they conjure in their body that whatever the disease is, and in this case it would be Parkinson's. And so the part, if that Parkinson's patient decides, you know what, by golly, today I'm going to really focus on walking normally. I'm going I'm to go out there in the world, I'm going to challenge myself, I'm going to really ask my body to do the impossible, and I'm going to you know, be strong, etc., whatever it is. Or... They're just wanting to go out in the world and stretch themselves a little bit, have a different experience of something. That part's going to raise up immediately and go, wait a second here. It's not safe for you to do that. Remember what you were taught? Remember what you learned? It's scary to do that, so we've got to stop you. And if you're not going to stop yourself, I'm going to stop you. And the part will literally instantly create a physical reaction in the person's body that will completely support the belief system. That is fascinating, Michelle. Does that make sense? That sure does. Yeah. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with Michelle Morgan in just a few minutes. I'm Robert Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery. You're listening to my previously recorded interview with Michelle Morgan. Many of you have asked me, how can I be able to listen to previous radio programs? And the answer is actually very simple. All you have to remember is that to go onto a search engine, type in the two words, the first word Parkinson's without an apostrophe S, and the second word recovery. And then in all search engines, there are just a number of different entries that will pop up on a page. Parkinson's recovery will be the first uh, entry that appears on search engines. You just click on that, 
and you'll see on the main page at the bottom, it says Blog Talk Radio. You click on that, you'll be able then to come to a page that presents all of the previously presented radio programs. You can download all of those programs or any one of those programs. You can download them to your MP3 player and listen uh, when you exercise or take a walk or run. You can listen live. So obviously, if you have access to a computer, all of that is readily available. I interview anybody who gives an indication that they are doing something that is helping people with the symptoms of Parkinson's. So as you scroll back on the radio programs on during previous months, you're going to hear interviews that I have had with medical doctors, naturopath doctors, compounding pharmacists, psychologists, psychiatrists, researchers, physical therapists, the list is literally endless. What I have discovered in the research that I have done on Parkinson's is that there is no single answer, and there never will be. Each person has a unique situation. The causes are unique to them, and so there will be for each person a set of therapies that are going to provide incredible relief from their symptoms. And so the idea of the radio program is to present everyone with just a wide range of possibilities. And the invitation is for whatever your call to act on is to pursue that. Call up the people, get some additional information, perhaps make an appointment, and see if that particular approach or therapy is actually going to work for you. One of the limitations of this approach that I've always been concerned about is you have to have a computer to be able to listen to the programs. And many individuals don't have access to computers, don't like computers, don't use computers, have electromagnetic sensitivities to computers. There are lots of reasons why people cannot interface with computers. So I've established in conjunction with a company here in Olympia, Washington, a program where we can mail out a CD of each week's radio program. I think the best idea idea that I've been able to come up with is support groups can literally join together and they can subscribe to these weekly CDs and then they can just pass them around so that the actual cost of uh, being able to subscribe winds up being literally pennies for each person. So I want to invite everybody uh, who knows somebody who could benefit from all of the incredible and rich and useful information that's conveyed in these interviews to spread the word that the CD, weekly CDs are available. You can always email me, and I'll be happy to uh, provide you with information. And that email address is robert at parkinsonsrecovery.com. Now back to my interview with Michelle Morgan. I'm back with Michelle Morgan, and we left with a cliffhanger. Uh, we'd figured out really what the issue was, but we we hadn't really uh, heard exactly what Michelle is going to help the person do about it. So what's the next chapter in this uh, therapy session, Michelle? So the next step in that is after identifying the part, um, and, and again, literally, the part will show up in the person. Sometimes the voice changes, etc. It's pretty amazing. And the, and the parts will literally um, show up, quote-unquote, visibly in the, in the person's psyche. They'll get an image. Sometimes it's a cartoon image. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's an inanimate object. It's amazing how the parts will show up. And the psyche does that on purpose. The psyche gives very specific symbolic information that elicits the most immediate emotional response. So my imagination when I think about a part that would raise up in somebody and freeze them, it's probably going to be 
a part that that looks similar to that father that that person had that we were talking about. Probably a a middle-aged man who was feeling really world-weary and in despair of ever, you know, being able to put themselves out in the world. That's probably a personality trait that that would likely show up in this part. But who knows? It just depends on the person's psyche. So then we would literally have a dialogue with that part about what the ultimate intention was. And the positive intent of this part would be to keep this person safe, keep them in the familiar. We as human beings are hardwired with a pack mentality. If I'm not loved and accepted by the pack, I will die. That is a hard and fast rule in the human psyche. Well, the pack is represented by usually family at the first go-round, then it branches out to community and, you know, peers, etc. But family always remains sort of that, the closest pack. And so there's a real weird loyalty thing that happens in the psyche. And so this part would be wanting to keep this person in that old familiar pattern, not best the parent, not do anything outside the box of what the pack did. Otherwise, they're not going to be loved anymore. They're not going to be safe. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure does. So we'd find that out. We would literally talk to this part, and the part would, I mean, it's, and, and here's the challenge that I have, Robert. It, it, this, this stuff can sound so woo-woo. It really can. <laughs> it sounds so completely bizarre and airy-fairy. It isn't. It's actually this really pretty astonishing, um, easy process because it's an it's the natural process of the psyche it's how it's the language of the psyche it's the archetypal symbolic language of the psyche and this process gives your psyche an ability to, to tell its story so we would find out this part was trying to keep this person safe and then likely the part believes that my client is is a child probably has no idea that they've grown up and grown away from that family of origin and no longer has to be safe in the world so we would give that part permission to become what God intended them to be. Which, if, so if the, if the divine intention of this part is to keep that person safe, we talk about the definition of safety. You know, what's the definition of safety? Well, according to the part, safety is freezing and staying small and, and staying in that old limited perspective of, of the family. So we'd maybe future pace it. We'd show the part. Okay, let's imagine that, that you do your job brilliantly and, and this person that, whose psyche you work in does exactly what you're having them do and they stay frozen for the rest of their life. Take them on 20 years down the line. Do they feel safe? Well, if you, if you future pace an image of being frozen like that, unable to function and move 20 years down the line, you're not going to feel safe. You're not going to have an emotional response of safety, are you? No. You're going to feel trapped, scared, horrified. Maybe your life is over even. You might not even survive it. So we would literally engage the part in imagining that future, and they would feel it, they would see it, they would experience it. And always the part will immediately go, holy crap, or something like that, that is so not what I intended. And, and, they're, and usually the parts are horrified. They're usually seriously horrified because they think they're creating this safety thing when, in fact, they're creating the opposite of their intention. So once we've gotten clear with the part, and again, as whacked as this sounds, you, you're, you as the client are having a physical, emotional, and mental experience of this part and their reaction. A lot of my clients will cry at that point. They'll, you know, sometimes have um, 
physical body posture changes, all sorts of things will happen as that part is watching this and experiencing this this imagined future and going, whoa, wait a minute, that is not what I had in my mind. Then we say, all right, here's the new definition of safety. Then I work with the client for a few minutes, we talk about what's true safety. Well, my ultimate goal in the CSI process is to bring people to God, bring people to a intimate connection with God. I believe that it's the ultimate love affair, and that's the whole point. So I bring people constantly, even the people who say, I don't believe in God, don't even use that word. <laughs> well, trust me when I tell you, eventually we get them there, because it's, again, a hardwired response, right? Spiritual beings having a human experience, all that stuff. So we would come up with the divine definition of safety. For me, safety is being connected to God, is trusting that everything that's happening to us, we're being guided to the highest and best, no matter what it looks like in the moment. That kind of faith is the only thing that's safe. And I, and I kind of think, you know, globally we're seeing a really good example of that. I mean, you know, people have counted on a whole lot of external material things over the last couple of years that have fallen completely apart. No. You know, it's all about faith. So we bring it back to a, a true definition of safety. The client then, I help them conjure it in their body, the feeling of it, imagine it to the best of your ability. How does it feel? What does it look like? Et cetera, et cetera. Then we gift the part with that experience. We take them to that place. We plug them into that. And they will change. And I mean literally change. I would guarantee you that this part, if he showed up as this middle-aged man who was haggard and, 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 and forlorn and, and sad and depressed and you know, feeling lousy about himself, he'd probably turn into some version of a, of a superhero or he'd turn into some wizened, powerful, amazing old man who'd been around the block a time or two, you know, some battle scars to prove it, but he was super strong and really clear and knew exactly where he was going. And that would be the physical experience that the client would then, from that moment on, have. Once the parts change, the change is permanent. Oh, the neuro, we actually create a brand new neuro pathway in the brain. That's the really cool thing. We dismantle the old pathway and we create a brand new one. And it's a physical, you'll feel it. You actually physically feel it in your head. It's, it's very amazing. And well, so that is that totally on, cool. I want you to know. Yeah, I feel supremely blessed to be able to do this work. I really do. Well, I want to ask you about a symptom that is very pervasive for individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's, and that's depression, something Absolutely. that you mentioned earlier that you have intimate experience with. Yep, I go to you, I have the symptoms of Parkinson's, and I say to you, uh, I'm depressed. Yep. And uh, you try to talk with me, but the fact is I'm so depressed I can't even talk about it. Yeah. What do you do? How do you help <laughs> again, me? Again, this is where this work is so brilliant. Um, NLP, which is what CSI is based on, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, the language of the brain, it's been around since the 60s, brilliant, two brilliant gentlemen created it, um, and it got misused for a while, but it's you know really a, an extraordinary power tool. The CSI process that I developed takes NLP to the next level. Well, actually, to the 10th level as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> NLP is like peeling the layers of an onion. You go after a symptom, you go after an experience, and you peel that layer away, and then something else pops up, and you peel that next layer, and you keep going, and eventually you get to the center of the onion, right? right. CSI, 
you stick a firecracker in the center of the onion, you blow the son of a gun. Oh, that's right. cool. <laughs> it happens now, I, huh? Yeah, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a hurry up and let's make it. <laughs> yeah, me girl. too. I don't like to waste any time. So we go straight to the heart, and, and here's how we do that. The first, the first order of business in the CSI process is we do an evaluation, and this is where my psychic ability comes into play. I do a literal psychic evaluation of this person. They have some homework that they have to do, um, which involves imagining their ideal life and then all the little voices, all the little parts, all the little arguments that pop up as they're imagining that they have to write those down. That gives us incredible information right there. There's a dialogue on that page that says all the reasons why that thing isn't going to work. Well, there's the root of our belief systems. Then I step in with the psychic evaluation. We actually look at what I call family legacies. And a family legacy is, is a story that's handed down generationally that's a belief system issue, and we find out where the legacy is rooted. So I'm going to go back to that person that was freezing up. Okay, I'm going to use that person as an example. So we would, we would trace the legacy of how that father learned to hold himself back. Because I guarantee you it doesn't just stop at the father. It probably goes to grandpa and, and grandpa's grandpa, et cetera, et cetera. We'd actually trace it back with very specific detail. I mean weird detail to the point where I've had clients go home and look up things genealogically and talk to relatives and find out that what we saw in the psychic reading was exactly what was going on in that family history. So we get this really rooted, deep-seated root of that belief system. So we start there. So every single session brings, we come back to that deepest issue rather than just going at it symptomatically. So somebody comes to me with depression, we would do the evaluation. We would find out, guaranteed we'd find out, that the root of that depression is based on a family legacy, probably from both sides, probably both the maternal and paternal lines had something that created that depressed feeling. Depression is a really interesting thing. It can show up with a lot of different um, side notes. You know what I mean? It can come from a lot of different places. It can come from guilt. It can come from fear. It can come from, you know, self-esteem issues. Again, everybody's got some level of those. Um, we would trace the specifics of that, and then we would go after the parts that were creating that experience creating the experience of the depression. And we would change each one individually. Sometimes they show up in groups, and we would change every single one of them and give them their true divine jobs that got twisted, as we talked about earlier. And that's how we'd go after the depression. The depression is just a symptom. You know, that's one of the things that I argued with back when I was dealing with life-threatening depression was the doctors kept telling me it was a disease, and I was like, no, it's not. I'm having a reaction to something deeper. Something's going on inside of me that's causing me to feel this way. And sure enough, when I started, <laughs> the reason I took the NLP training 15, 16, 17 years ago was because I experienced in two sessions with an NLP practitioner, I healed some things that I'd been trying to heal for about 10 years with every other modality out there. And I thought, oh, my God, i got to learn how to do this. And so when I took the training, what I realized was that NLP was a little bit limited. It was limited because it didn't bring things back to the foundation, to the root, and it didn't bring things back to God. That's where, that's where I went with it. I... There's 
something called the logic levels. It's a ladder of, of um, process in the brain. Low man on the totem pole is behavior. That's all the physical stuff. Then you've got capability. That's the thought process. That's where you're integrating information that you receive through reading or learning or whatever. Then you've got belief. That's that belief system thing we're talking about. Top of that is identity, which is a belief system with a, with a personal attachment to it. It's how you see yourself in the world. And then you've got spiritual. Spiritual is the top of that ladder. Well, people who do like self-help things or they try these different, um, you know, try to do things differently, that's a behavioral change. That only goes so far. Capability is where you're reading all the books about how to do things differently. That only goes so far. Then you're going to slam into the ceiling of belief and identity. Well, NLP works with belief and identity. CSI goes after belief and identity, but we go through the back door. We go straight in through spirituality. So we're connecting all of it to the highest level, and that's the deepest point of change in the psyche. You know what it all comes down to, Robert? What? Not kidding you. You want the secret of the universe? <laughs> all right, everybody, hold on to your seats here. <laughs> it is. I'm serious. Drum roll, please. <laughs> it is the single greatest longing that every human being has is to feel worthy of God. And the single greatest fear we have is that we're not. Ah, uh, that's quite beautiful. So, How'd you figure that out, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> Through a lot of really hard work. <laughs> it took quite a few years <laughs> to come out with those two really, sentences. Yeah, huh? <laughs> really hard work. Yeah, that's, that's my bumper sticker. Right. <laughs> about, you know, 25 years of really hardcore personal experience. I got the battle scars to prove oh, that one. Oh, God, you finally hit a home run, it sounds like. <laughs> yep. So that's, so that's what my philosophy is and that's what I bring everything back around to and again I got people that come in literally walk into my office and go do not say the word God I do not believe in God and I'm like cool alright that's great we get them to the point within a matter of sessions where they're they're feeling God <laughs> they are feeling it experiencing it because that's just the whole point point. and someone with a physical disease if you're looking at that logic level ladder that's that low rung of the totem pole right mm -hmm. that's the most basic expression of those deeper issues so doesn't it stand to reason you have to go you have to go after that deeper place if those behavioral or physical symptoms are going to change at all you have to go after the root of it so to be clear then you're not prescribing herbs for people Absolutely. you're not prescribing medicines you're not a medical doctor mm -hmm. uh, you're not really going after issues such as diet or exercise specifically you're really going to the root of what you see to be yes. the aggravating yes. reasons yes. why the person has the symptoms because yes. here's the gig you can you can you can take herbs till the cows come home. You can have surgeries. You can do everything under the sun in the medical world. And I am not dissing the medical world. Sometimes I do. I will be honest with you. Sometimes I totally judge that whole thing. But I'm not in this moment. I'm saying you can do all those things. But if you've got a belief system that does not support wellness, then you are not going to get well, period. Now, this is the interesting thing, though. Conversely, once something's rooted in your physical body, if all you do is deal with the emotional, spiritual ramification, your body's still going to be playing it out because it's rooted. So you have to do the physical thing, too. That's the other thing. Talking about the logic levels, that ladder, there's another ladder that we operate off of, and that's the ladder of the four levels of being. You've got 
physical on the bottom, again, low man on the totem pole, then comes emotional, then comes intellectual, then comes spiritual. There's four levels of existence. If you're not working on all four levels, you're out of balance, period. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you are communing with God himself on a daily basis, but you're not eating well or you're not, you know, dealing with belief systems or you're not whatever else. You've got to be on all of those levels. Crucial that you're on all those levels. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with Michelle Morgan in just a minute. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. You are listening to my interview with Michelle Morgan, who is the creator and uh, inventor of Cognitive Spiritual Integration. Many of you uh, have copies of one of the books I released this year titled Pioneers of Recovery. One of the individuals that I interviewed, one of the 14, is named Carl Buscheidt. Carl is the uh, director of the Neuro Linguistic Programming Center in Marion County, which uh, is, is very near San Francisco. They offer three-hour free workshops two or three times a month on NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming, which, as Michelle just explained, is uh, at the foundation of what the work that she does for individuals. I want everybody to know that. Uh, that you can call up his center. It's uh, readily available on a search on the Internet, and you can come uh, to any of his free workshops so you can get a better idea of NLP. If you have a copy of Pioneers of Recovery, be sure to look back through over Carl's, my interview with Carl. He gives a uh, play-by-play description of the theoretical foundation of neuro-linguistic programming and some detail about how it actually works that uh, supplements and supports what Michelle is explaining in my interview with her today. So I would uh, encourage anybody uh, in the vicinity of San Francisco to uh, contact uh, Carl and his group. It's a formidable center. He's been involved in NLP now for, uh, I think, almost since its inception in the uh, 1960s. Uh, I asked Carl, so uh, tell me, Carl, be honest, uh, for the people that you've worked with who had the symptoms of Parkinson's, how many are getting better with the therapies that you do and uh, how many aren't? And his answer was, well, the truthful answer is about half. About 50% are getting uh, significantly better and about half don't, and there's some reasons that that actually happens. That's consistent with what I found in all of my interviews, that uh, for any particular therapy, it seems as though it works beautifully for some people and not so great for others. Now back to my interview with Michelle Morgan. One of the huge challenges that I have been able to detect in my many interviews with individuals who have Parkinson's is a hesitancy to seek out help. People have lots of reasons for that. Uh, Oftentimes people will say, well, I'm not going to pay any money to be able to get this or that therapy. Or they'll say, well, I'm not going to go see a stranger. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. So it really turns out to be a challenge for many people to be able to consider the possibility, for example, of making an appointment with somebody such as yourself Uh, to be able to explore issues that they thought they had overcome many, many, many years ago. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. What happened when I was one is affecting my symptoms today. So people are going to say, wait a minute, you've got to be kidding me. This is going to be a waste of time. So what would you say, somebody, let's say, who is depressed, 
Uh, perhaps this is an individual that got the deep brain stimulation surgery. Their surgeon told them, okay, that you'll be able to reduce your medication as a result of this, but you know, DBS is not an answer to depression or constipation or many, many other of the symptoms of Parkinson's, blah, 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 blah. And yet the person now is, let's say, significantly depressed, uh, but they're not even willing to seek out help from somebody such as yourself. What would you say to somebody like that? Oh, that is such a loaded gun. <laughs> this, is, this is where my parts come into play. See, I have, I have, honestly, I have parts that want to grab people like that, shake them till their teeth rattle, and say, "What are you waiting for?" Right? Okay, that's one part of me. Um, and in all seriousness, that literally is a part of me. But what what I would say to somebody like that is is two things. One is that alone, that whole. You know, I thought I've already worked on this. You know, I'm not going to talk to a stranger. That's a belief system. That's stemming from that family legacy stuff we're talking about. Guaranteed we can trace that back multi-generationally to somebody who has issues about looking weak or, you know, being ripped off or being betrayed, whatever it is. Okay, so I guarantee you that's got a root cause in the psyche. More importantly, the... That Going back to that whole survival instinct thing, pack mentality, all that stuff, right? Safety, there's only really two things the parts are ever wanting to create. This is another little secret of the universe, just a little aside here on how this process works. Um, there's only two things that the parts are ever really trying to create, love or safety. And if you break those two things down, they equal the same thing. Based on that survival instinct of belonging to the pack, we're only safe if we feel loved, and we only feel loved if we feel safe. Okay? Boom. So going back to somebody who says, well, I'm not going to you know, go see somebody or whatever, it's the, the basis of safety in the, in the um, typical psyche is whatever's familiar. Our ancestors threw rocks at the moon because they didn't know what it was, right? Anything that's unfamiliar is considered unsafe. So they're not going to try something new because it's, not known, but more importantly, there's a fear factor. Parts raise up in somebody's psyche and say, don't, don't change, because you don't know who you're going to be if you change. Someone that has Parkinson's, and, and I'll guarantee you people will argue with me on this one. I promise you they will. In fact, I can hear your listeners getting their hackles raised, some of them, when I'm going to say that Parkinson's, if you got diagnosed with Parkinson's at 45 or 50 or 35 like my brother, you had the disease in your psyche when you were two. You had the belief systems that support the disease, the belief systems that support the reality of having that disease and everything that goes along with it, the depression, the freezing, the, the uncontrolled movements, all of it. You had the belief systems, and you were actually acting those things out in certain ways from the time you were a toddler. So it stands to reason that in order to be safe, you've got to stay in the familiar. If it's familiar for you to be in a world where you are out of control and that limited and feel that lousy about yourself, you're going to have parts that say, no way in hell am I going to let you change because you're not going to know who you are and it's not going to be safe for you. Does that make sense? It sure does. If we 
now go to a number of individuals who are listening to this who have been extremely successful in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are at the top of their fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have won prizes, including wow. Nobel Prizes. Yep. Uh, they are accomplished musicians. They are uh, people who are basically very famous. They're the movers and shakers of the universe, yep. so to speak. Now. People who are listening to this are thinking, well, I can figure this out for myself. I mean, you know, (laughs) I'm a smart person. I've been successful in everything else. I can do it. I can figure it out for myself. Why do I need somebody like Michelle Morgan to be able to help me through figuring out my belief system when I was one year old? Right. You bet. Again, belief systems are this deep-seated, deep-rooted thing, and you can change you can change some neural pathways in the brain on your own. That's that whole, you know, doing something for 21 days, making a new habit for 21 days, 21 days of repeated action creates a new neural pathway. That's, that's scientific fact. The problem is if you just create the new neural pathway and you don't dismantle the old one, guess what your brain's going to choose? Hmm, 21 days versus 27 <laughs> years? I think I'll just go with the easy one. I know that one really well, right? We're going to go back to the old behavior. Right. So this process is, you know, partly about that. But... I always encourage people to seek help because nobody, nobody can do their life alone. Nobody can. And everybody's got something. Everybody's got something in them. Everybody's got something that's holding them back from what I consider their divinity. You know, my job is to help people be extraordinary. And it sounds like a lot of your listeners are already extraordinary. I believe everyone is extraordinary. And I'm a girl that believes that... More is always better. <laughs> and that if you're truly living your life, if you're really living your life right, you're never satisfied. You're happy, you're content, you're grateful as hell, but you're never satisfied. There's always a way to do more, go deeper, and it all comes back to that connection to God. If you're depressed, if your body isn't functioning, if you're scared, if you're sad or unhappy, some of that's just a human experience, and it's a necessary experience. I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, remember the flaming soapbox I was talking about earlier, not getting up on the love, light, and bliss train because it doesn't exist. But it's about being in those scary experiences, those negative experiences, those limiting experiences, and transcending them by choosing to reach out, choosing to reach out to God, choosing to reach out to people and resources and experiences that can give you a broader perspective instead of staying in something that doesn't serve you. And I don't believe that we're meant to be limited. I believe that we're meant to be unlimited and have limitation as part of the experience. Does that make sense? It sure does. You've explained that uh, one of the reasons why people, uh, for example, may not uh, be willing to call you to explore these kind of issues for themselves further is that it, it won't feel safe for them since you're a stranger. Absolutely. Oh, so, yeah. so tell us more about you. Who, who is Michelle Morgan? How come you got to be doing the thing that you're doing today? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. Well, I'm, um, I, I have to talk a little bit about astrology. I'm a double Sagittarius. I don't know if you know what that means, but double Sagittarius is basically a Molotov cocktail on a bonfire. <laughs> so my uh, MO is pr- 
pretty much Mach 5 with my hair on fire <laughs> at all times. Um, I was a professional musician for 12 years, made a living locally, but made a living in a, in a business you didn't make a living in when I was very young. Um, as, a, as a single female, no less, um, rock bands, but then I did a single act. Did that for uh, 12, 15 years. Um, the entire time I was a musician, there was this odd phenomenon where I would get off stage on my break and sit down, and someone would sit down next to me and immediately start telling me all their troubles. And I would basically give them advice and counsel them and be on my way <laughs> back on stage. Um, and then when I shifted out of that business and, and started actually doing the psychic thing, um, I had psychic experiences my whole life, which were terrifying. I actually heard voices as a kid, um, thought I was pretty much you know, two steps shy of the rubber room. Um, and when I first started working with the tarot, the voices stopped and I had an instant channel for this ability. And so I started using that to help people. And I've always been supremely drawn to help people. I mean, that's from the time I was a little kid. Stray dogs, stray people, you name it, I'm going to bring it in and, and, and help it out. So um, I started moving in the direction of the counseling. And then, like I said, I was seeking help for issues that I was dealing with personally when I was incredibly blessed and guided by God to go to an NLP practitioner. So that just exploded for me. I wanted so much to learn that process so that I could take it out there in the world and, and, and you know help people become amazing. And so then I developed the CSI process. So this has been a really long experience for me of, of having an extraordinary passion um, to allow people to be the best that they can be and not from that standpoint of never having a negative moment but actually embracing the darkness because that's where the power lies for someone with parkinson's the the power that's in their fear the power that's in their depression the power that's in their limitation is unprecedented if we work on the parts that are doing those and we give them their true nature imagine what they're capable of doing because the limitation is actually kinking the garden hose. There's power behind that darkness. If you look at any analogy of treasure, where is treasure always found? In any myth, where is treasure found? In treasure chests. It's, but where? But where's the treasure chest? It's buried. Yeah, it's buried in the ocean yeah. or under the ground or wherever. Absolutely, absolutely. Greatest treasures are always buried. And inside any darkness, there is some extraordinary gem. That's my job, and that's my passion. And, I, and to be honest with you, Robert, I don't know that I can you know, completely say why I do what I do, except what I know for a fact is that this is why God put me on this planet. Without question, I know that. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have survived some of the things that I've been through in my life emotionally if I didn't believe that I had walked through that particular fire so that I could look a client in the eye and say, oh, man, do I know what you're feeling. You are a published author, and one of the works that you're currently uh, working on has the title, Essential Change, Why Self-Help Doesn't and What to Do So It Does. Now, what's that all about? How come self-help isn't all that it's cracked up to be? Because, again, it goes back to the logic levels thing. Self-help deals with the behavioral change. And, unfortunately, you know, the self-help industry is phenomenal. Great philosophies. Some of the best, some of the most ancient philosophies are um, polished up, prettied up, and marketed in our current modern New Age culture. Um, 
the problem with that is nothing's a quick fix. And we are an MTV soundbite purple pill nation. We want the answer now. We want to fix it now. And we don't want to have to do the work. And that's not how it works. And so I'm very passionate, if you cannot tell, uh, <laughs> about, about helping people understand that it's a balance. The, the good news is, for instance, the CSI process is quick in that you're going to get to the heart of things immediately, but it's a ton of work. It's, it, it's scary. You know, it's not all fun and games. So it's a combination. But people have to be willing to do the work. And that even goes back to your earlier question about, you know, what do you say to somebody who, who's afraid to get help? My philosophy is somebody will come to me when they're darn tootin' good and ready. I really trust that implicitly. If somebody, if somebody in their heart wants help, which everybody does ultimately, everybody's seeking the light, if somebody really wants help, eventually they're going to be guided. Probably they're going to hit bottom first, because that's usually what has to happen to us humans. And then they come to me. Everybody that comes to me has usually been through 20 other modalities before they find me. Interesting. Yeah. From and your, I trust that implicitly. From your experience of working with individuals with the symptoms of Parkinson's, if a person uh, does uh, uh, be able to uh, work on transforming their belief systems, is it really possible then for them to be able to see recovery from their symptoms? depends on what your definition of recovery is. <laughs> but here's how I would answer that. I, I think that like an addiction, recovery is, is the phenomenon of knowing that you have something in you that will likely be partnered with you for the rest of your life, but you can learn how to cohabitate with it, take all the gifts that you can possibly take out of it, and it doesn't stop you from anything. And so my philosophy is the most debilitating things are the emotional things because those are present long before and potentially long after anything physical changes. Does that, yeah, does that yeah. make oh, sense? Yeah. You're right. So yeah. dealing with the emotional, spiritual ramifications, getting somebody plugged into God in the way that their heart has asked them to be and, and is their divine birthright, really, then they're equipped... 100% to handle the physicality of the disease. They're equipped to overcome and live with and, and prosper and be victorious over whatever they're dealing with. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got some limitation. And again, I, you know, part of me, part of me, um, hearing myself say these things, you know, I understand I don't have that disease. So, you know, in some respects, I have no business talking about living with something like that. And yet I've lived with suicidal depression. I've lived with anxiety that I couldn't function with. I've lived with several things that affected me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I can tell you flat out, I still have my moments. I still have my moments of those darknesses. I understand them now. I have a foundation in me. I have a group of parts that that are on my team that help me and God and I are, you know, joined at the hip. So I can overcome pretty much anything and I can recover in my life from anything if I've got that connection. To me that's the key. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back with Michelle Morgan. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. You're listening to my interview with Michelle Morgan. 
Those of you who are considering uh, joining uh, us at Parkinson's Recovery on the cruise to Alaska, which leaves from Seattle on May the 3rd for seven days, uh, the deadline to get the very low rate, which is equivalent of about $100 a day, is this Tuesday, December the 29th. Of course, you'll be able to register uh, up until the time of the cruise, but uh, what, what they do is they offer this incredibly low rate at the very outset. So if you're thinking about going, the way to do it is uh, to go ahead and, and put your deposit in by Tuesday. I think it's 150 or $75. And also to be sure and buy the travel insurance. That way you'll be guaranteed of being returned any monies if when it comes to, to May the 3rd you're unable to actually make the, the uh, cruise. Our program next week has got a little bit of a scheduling shift. Instead of Thursday at 11 o'clock Pacific time, I'm going to air the program on Wednesday, the day before, at 11 o'clock Pacific time. Deborah and I are actually traveling to Nashville, Tennessee on Thursday, on New Year's Day, to celebrate on that night with uh, my son and his new wife uh, for their union as of uh, about three or four months ago as a, uh, as a newly married couple. My program next week is uh, quite fascinating for a lot of reasons. I've discovered that uh, some of the most useful and powerful approaches are discovered by accident. And this is actually uh, the very same case as Jacqueline Gisborne, a Ph.D. researcher type from Rocky Mountain NeuroAdvantage in Glenwood, Colorado, will tell us how she is using neurofeedback to treat the symptoms of Parkinson's. She had used this approach on other people with chronic conditions and by accident started to actually seeing people with Parkinson's and was observing remarkable results. Dr. Gisborne reports that everyone she has treated has had a significant trauma in their life that is directly related and tied to their symptoms. She argues that when you address the trauma, the person will heal. So as a little advertisement, you can rest assured that that interview is truly fascinating. So that's next week. That'll be December the 30th at 11 o'clock Pacific time. Now back to the final segment of my previously recorded interview with Michelle Morgan. In your experience then, is Parkinson's disease a curse or is it actually a blessing in disguise? Well, to not sound like, a, again, a new age <laughs> fluff addict, <laughs> um, it's, I think it's a blessing in disguise. And here's my philosophy on that. Um, I think that any challenge that we face, um, anything that we come onto this planet to grapple with has a treasure hidden in it. And the treasure is, how are you going to show up in the world and help people with what you've experienced? You know, that's, to me, the whole point. How are you going to show up and help people? Every scar that I have, every emotional thing I've gone through has given me the capacity for tremendous compassion and really amazing ability to connect with my clients. Um, and so I believe that, that there's not an accident in anything that happens. And even more so, the only time we reach out for God is when we're struggling. And so we have an opportunity in all of our struggles to deepen our connection with God and make that the lamp that, you know, lights the way. You are 
currently a resident of the grand state of Washington in the United States. Many people, however, who are listening to this, to this discussion may be interested in connecting with you, but they don't live in Washington. They live on the East Coast or Chicago or Texas or who knows where. Many people live in Canada and, of course, in Europe and other countries. Uh, do they have to come see you in order no. to be able to get help? No. That would be really fun. <laughs> I would love that, but no, they don't need to be in person. Um, that's one of the um, really cool things about the way the work is structured, um, the way the CSI process is structured. It can be done on the phone. Um, and that's also a real gift of my psychic ability. Um, you don't have to be in the room with me to be in the room with me because I can feel and see and experience my clients like they're right here. So. Um, yeah, in fact, the majority of my, my clients are um, phone clients, actually. So the CSI program, uh, does that involve a number of consecutive sessions with you? Yes, that's a very, very intense track. It's two months long, 90-minute um, sessions twice a week. I mean, we're talking some serious commitment, and I expect that of my clients. If somebody really wants to change, they have to be willing to put in the work. Um, they get me a million percent. I'm so invested. My clients are like my kids, truly. I am so invested in their lives, and I'm there for them a million percent um, during sessions and in between. Um, a lot of times people, to just get a taste of me, will do what's called the life assessment, um, and that's a 90-minute session that's basically that psychic evaluation I was talking about earlier where we're tracing the family legacies and the roots of belief systems. To do that as a single session gives you a ton of insight, a lot of awareness, and, you know, in my uh, belief system, awareness alone will not create change. It will give you an ability to be clear. It will give you an ability to start to um, separate yourself out from the things that don't serve you, but to actually change those things, that's where you actually have to do the work. But the life assessment's really fascinating. love to do those because I, I love the, the information about the ancestry. Um, and to be honest, about 95% of people who do a life assessment then turn around and sign on for the CSI track because the information is so clear. And, you know, most of the time when people are coming to me, like I said earlier, they're coming to me because they've tried a whole lot of other things that just have not worked. Right. Um, so um, once, they, once they get the information and, and have the clarity on, on the root of those belief systems, most people are chomping at the bit to get in there and change them. How do people get in touch with you? I have a website. It is Michelle with one L. M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Morgan.org, O-R-G. Um, and my phone number's on there. You can email me to get in touch with me. There's a ton of information about the CSI program and about some of the other um, things that I do, about upcoming events, that type of thing. So, yeah, I encourage you to visit me on the web. So that website is www.MichelleMorgan, all one word, and that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E, M-O-R-G-A-N.org. O-R-G. Is there anything in particular you'd like to say to individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's by way of closing? Well, I would say this to anybody. I say this to all my clients, and I and I one of the things that I'm the proudest of about myself is that I walk my talk. Um, I don't do it gracefully. <laughs> I don't do it without a lot of argument, but I do walk my talk. I don't ask my clients to do anything I wouldn't do. And what I tell everybody is, um, you're here for a reason, you know. You're here for a reason, and you have an opportunity to 
um, step into your truth and step into your power and live that divine destiny. And um, I think that's the whole point. I think that's the entire point. And I encourage people to be willing to recognize that they signed on, that they raised their hand in the cosmic coffee shop, that nobody's here by accident and, and nobody's a victim. And it doesn't mean that, that horrible things don't happen because they do. And you need to feel the grief and feel the anger and feel the sense of betrayal and shake your fist at God and be angry about your circumstances and then pick yourself back up again and say, all right, this is, where I, this is what I've got. Now what am I going to do with it? Michelle Morgan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and you just uh, listened to my previously recorded interview with Michelle Morgan. My thanks to Michelle for a fascinating discussion. I hope uh, that you will seriously consider joining us on our cruise to Alaska that leaves from Seattle on May the 3rd for seven days. It's going to be an amazing experience for us all, and I would very much love to be able to meet each of you. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery. May your holidays be divine. Good day. <laughs>